0: This is part three of what we were calling come, by eat, drink from God. In Isaiah 55, we were told to come by eat and drink from the Father, from the Lord Jesus, from the Holy Spirit and from his word. Come, by eat and drink. And then we went to the New Testament and right to the end of the New Testament in the book of Revelations where one of the letters Jesus is writing to his church Basically, the Lodicean Christians hadn't been doing what Isaiah 55, God says, to do. Come and drink, come and eat, come and buy from me, from my Son, from the Holy Spirit, from my word. They hadn't been doing that. And what happened to them? They'd become lukewarm. I mean, if you haven't been here before with part one and part two, did you find it helpful to realise that potentially what Jesus meant by being hot or cold, normally we think that being cold means Jesus said, I'd rather you're a non-Christian than a lukewarm Christian. But really, when we look at hot and cold, if we're thinking about geographically in the water they came, they had, the hot springs were fed from a viaduct, but by the time they got to Lodicea, they were lukewarm. And the cool water from the springs in, where was it, Colossae? They didn't have that, basically Laodicea didn't have its own spring water. So he had to import the water, either hot water or cold water. But by the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. So Jesus is saying, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Basically, I'd rather you be close to the source. I'd rather you represent the source. But not geographically, but spiritually, you are distant from me. And because of your spiritual distance from me, because you're not eating, buying, and drinking from me directly from the source, you're lukewarm in your spirituality. Okay, so Jesus is writing to these Christians, saying you are lukewarm. Well, let, let's let's um, verse fifteen. I know your deeds that you are Revelation Revelation three for those that might be listening. Um, and not can't see the screen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. They seemed to be fairly comfortable in their Christianity in Laodicea. It was quite a wealthy place. And maybe they were cruising along in kind of, you know, middle class Christianity quite nicely. He says, but, but Jesus says, you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Oh dear. Now what should these unwittingly lukewarm Christians do, Jesus says. I counsel you to buy from me. They hadn't been buying from Jesus. I counsel you to buy from me. What is buying from Jesus? Well, we've already learned that it's using our faith, our heavenly pocket money that God gave us, it's using our faith to draw close to him, to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, and to his word, buying, drinking, and eating from him. Okay? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, rich in their relationship with God. Gold cannot be refined by lukewarm heat. It needs intense heat. You need to draw near, close to the source of the heat. Who's the source of the heat? Jesus said, I will baptize you with my Holy Spirit and with fire, didn't he? And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Now in Revelation 19, we hear that white clothes means righteous acts of the saints. We can all do good deeds, but righteous acts is a Christian being in the right place at the right time, doing what God wants them to do, okay? And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Lukewarm eyesight tends to increasingly see things from a worldly point of view. But when you receive Jesus' salve, when you buy, you eat, you drink from him, a believer tends to see God, the world, and their circumstances from more of a heavenly perspective. Now verse 19. Jesus says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Repent from what? Being lukewarm. How do you repent from being lukewarm? How do you get over that? You buy from him. Okay. Now, firstly, why is Jesus saying these things, all that he said before he says, I lose who love, love, I rebuke, and discipline? Okay? All the things he said, you're lukewarm. Why is he saying this to them? because he loves them those whom i love i rebuke and discipline verse 19 why does god do anything because he loves why did he create the world cuz he loves why did he create human beings cuz he loves why did he give his son cuz he loves Why is Jesus saying this to these Christians? Why does he say anything to you? Because he loves you. His love for the world, his love for people, and his love for you. Jesus is calling them out of being lukewarm because he loves them and doesn't want to leave them that way. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, out of interest, do you know what the Lord's preferred method of discipline is? Any ideas what the Lord's preferred method of discipline is? What's your preferred method of discipline? Scripture. Scripture. Okay, do you agree with Jackie? Is that God's preferred method? What is your preferred method of discipline? At school? Jude, what is your preferred method of discipline? Yeah. <laughs> You don't like it. It's necessary though, isn't it? Well, just like any good parent or teacher's first line of discipline is what Jackie said, it's your word. Okay, It's your spoken word, your word of command, or for us, Scripture, which is God's word written down and compiled together, isn't it? So it's verbal instruction. Don't do that. Or, do this, but don't do that. And if you carry on doing this and you don't stop, this is what's going to happen. You're speaking out. You need to do this, or you need to stop doing this. That is our preferred and God's preferred way of discipline. Beacently speaking to someone and for them to stop doing it, or doing it, whatever it is he's saying. Usually, only after the word of instruction or warning is repeatedly ignored does discipline escalate. Is that right? Is that right in school? Is that right in your home normally? A good parent will warn someone repeatedly before they actually ratchet up to the next bit, whatever that discipline might be. Okay? And it's the same with God's discipline in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He repeatedly warned them verbally before what he warned, if they didn't do, began to happen. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit's discipline begins with his word. Now hoping that early on people will take his command, his instruction, his advice, his direction or warning seriously. Now, can you remember how Jesus said that our Heavenly Father, who is the gardener, had already pruned his disciples? Can you remember what Jesus said? This is how my Father has already pruned you? Yeah, Moiwa? By his words, yeah. Okay, let's, let's turn to it. It'll be on the screen, but if you want to turn to John 15. We're just going to see Jesus is um, telling us, really, how God's preferred method of pruning is, okay? Jesus said, I am the vine, true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Why does God prune? So that you can be even more fruitful fruitful even more good even more lovely things going on you are already clean I've got in brackets here pruned because of the word I have spoken to you now the Greek word used for the word pruned is used twice in here once Jesus uses it and it's it's um, it's translated as pruned, and then again he uses it again, but it's translated as clean. It means the same thing. So really, what God Jesus is saying here, he says every every branch that does not bear fruit, so sorry, does bear fruit. He prunes so that you will be even more fruitful. You are already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. The best way to respond to God's discipline is to hear what He says. And respond accordingly. The disciples were already pruned because they'd heard what Jesus said and they were getting it, they were obeying, they were working it out. Okay? God's preferred method of discipline is for you to hear what he's saying and obey to do. That's how the gardener prefers, so that we will be even more fruitful. Now, in our letter written to Jesus, or by Jesus to the Laodicean Christians, if they do not respond to his written word of warning, you guys are lukewarm, you need to repent. If they do not respond to his written or spoken warning, what has Jesus told them that the eventual escalation of his discipline will be? What has he said? Hmm. Turn back to Revelation chapter 3. Yeah, Jesus said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Doesn't sound nice, does it? Jesus said the father cuts off and Jesus spits out. Now we aren't going to get into detail about what that exactly might mean, but it doesn't sound good, does it? Now, thankfully, we know from Scripture and probably personal experience that in between God's initial word of instruction, advice, warning, whatever it might be, and the stage of being cut off or spat out, there's a lot of incremental discipline going on in between time, isn't there? You don't get one warning, and then that's it, cut off, spat out. There's a lot of stuff A lot of warnings, a lot of disciplinings going on in between time, which we're grateful for. And it is for our own good. Why did Jesus discipline these disciples? Because I love you. Why does God do anything? Because of his love for humanity, for the world, for each individual. Now, I wonder if you've ever had an occasion to be fairly certain that you've experienced the discipline of God have you ever had a a certain experience where you think I think God was disciplining me there well I remember sharing with you a while ago that I was on holiday and in the space of two weeks God disciplined me three times when it came to boasting do you remember that Yeah, the bike, there was the gazebo. Basically what happened was I had three occasions to boast verbally. One was just in my thoughts. The last one was just in my thoughts. But the first one was we had a gazebo from Argos. And we were camping in France. And uh, the neighbours were admiring our gazebo. And I started to tell them how amazing this gazebo was. It wasn't much, it was cheap in Argos, and it only cost us this amount of money. It's lasted this this so many years, and it's really good. Look at it, it's still standing, it's brilliant. We went out shopping, came back, and it was in pieces. (laughs) A freak gust of wind had just wrecked it. And I didn't put two and two together at that point. I just thought, oh, that's frustrating. Oh, well, it didn't cost us much money, and it's lasted all these years. And then I can't remember the second thing that happened, but I had an occasion to boast about something. And then within hours or days, it broke. And then the last one was um, my electric bike. And uh, this wasn't, I didn't boast verbally about it. This was just in my thoughts. I was riding along. It was towards the end of the holiday. Emily and I were cycling along a river. And uh, it was a kit that I put on my old bike, and it worked really well. And I was thinking to myself, I was having a conversation with my dad in my mind, like a future conversation, telling my dad how well I'd done in buying this kit, putting it on my bike, how many years it had lasted, how, well, how, how, how good I was in choosing this kit and, and kind of keeping it all well and nice. And by the end of the ride, it had broken down. Now, um, and to make matters worse, I was trying to find out what had been broken, so I took parts off Marie's bike, which was electric two, plugged it in, and broke that too. So I'd wrecked, and it was not repairable, I'd wrecked two electric bike kits in one afternoon. And I walked up the hill crying. I was crying. I was just really frustrated and angry. And it was at that point that it dawned on me. These three things had happened almost immediately after I'd been boasting about them whether it was verbally to someone or even if it was in my head. And I just got the conclusion ooh, maybe boasting isn't good, even if it's just silly little things. And I read to scripture and uh, it'll be up on the screen and I found out this is what God says about boasting. Now I kind of knew this but didn't really know it. But this is what it says, if we've got the next slide. In 1 Corinthians 13 4, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And in Galatians 6 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 10:17 it says, But let no one who boasts, or let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And 2 Timothy 3 2 says, People will be lovers themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. And I, I got the, the picture that God was saying, For you, David, I have given you these f- three fairly, fairly cheap lessons in not to boast. Okay? D- wherever we are at our stage, it does say that those who teach will be judged more harshly. So I'm not saying that God does this to everyone, but I've recognized that when I get out of line, even in the minor things of God's word, God is quick to prune me, because he loves me. He doesn't want to leave me there. He doesn't want me to be an example to others when I am kind of like going around, um, yeah, boasting. Uh, even the little things, God cares about what I do and what I say. Um, so that lesson really changed me it was painful, I did cry at the end which seems a bit silly but I was, I was a broken man my two bikes my electric bikes that I loved had been broken and uh, yeah God spoke to me on that mountain as I walked up that mountain to pray and have it out with God and he kind of revealed his word to me and what I'd been doing wrong <clears throat> okay okay what happens now, I often, get, um, I often get complimented on my motorbike, mainly, mainly by old men, older men than me. They seem to be drawn to my motorbike out of all the others in the car park because mine's black and chromy and old and they seem to kind of be drawn to it. Now, I used to be able to say, well, yeah, no, it is nice, isn't it? And I keep it really clean, and it takes a long time to clean, and I got a good deal for it. I had to go up to wherever it was, Lancashire, to get it. And, um, whereas now, when, mainly, when someone, when I have an opportunity to boast, you'll hear me, and probably you've noticed, you'll hear me begin with the phrase, yeah, I'm really grateful for it. When someone says, oh, what a lovely bike you got, I, I begin with, yeah, I'm really grateful for it. I'm thankful that I've been able to have this lovely bike. Yeah, I'm really grateful. I don't always turn it to God and boast in God, but that's how I deal with it now. I don't boast. I'm grateful for it. God has given me this. Every, everything that we get, God has given us the ability to earn it and, and things like that, the scripture says. So that's what, how it's changed me. I wonder... Because God loves you too much to let you keep on ignoring his verbal discipline, his word, have you ever noticed his gentle yet incremental discipline in your life? Now, last month, I noticed another moment of personal personal discipline of the Lord in my life, which I'm going to share with you. Maybe today, maybe next week. But to get there, most of us are pretty au fait with Jesus' warning about being judgmental. Are, are you pretty clear on what the Bible says about being judgmental? Right, we've looked at being boastful, haven't we? What about judgmental? Okay. Well, next. Oh, well done. Thanks, Karen. You're ahead of me now. Matthew 7.1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now Luke puts it, this, just flips it around to the opposite. It's the same meaning. He says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. So Matthew says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Luke says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be contem- condemned. That is Jesus speaking. Don't judge. Don't condemn. But in real life, how far do we actually take Jesus' words not to judge and not to condemn? Does Jesus mean that in absolutely everything? Or does that just mean in the more important conversations and interactions we have, we're not to judge? Does he mean everything? Or just in the more important circumstances, don't judge? What do you think he means? In everything? Now, I happen to think that Jesus meant we should implement this truth into every aspect of our lives. Not just the important conversations and interactions with people. But if that's true, it's a constant battle, isn't it? To not be judgmental. In everything. Yeah? And it can be so easy to let your guard down, especially when it happens in circumstances that seem to you of little significance. I'll give you an example. Do you ever watch TV? Yeah? And you start to have your own judgmental thoughts about the people on the program. Yeah? Yeah? I mean, they might have been made-up characters. I mean, you know, if you watch some of the soaps, it's not even real life, is it? But does it matter if you start to have judgmental thoughts or make comments about it? What do you think? Do you reckon it matters? Do you reckon God cares? Do you reckon he might want to prune you? (laughs) Yeah? It's a constant battle, isn't it? Surely a bit of being a bit judgy in your own thoughts whilst watching TV is far less of an infringement of Jesus' word about not judging than actually being verbally judgmental to someone in real life. Surely that's not as important. No. Jesus said if you break one commandment you've broken them all, it's like hanging from a chain. If one link breaks, you're going to fall. Yes, yeah. Oh, unless you can unpack that for us sometime. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who can't hear, uh, Mark was saying that we need to make uh, the, the difference between being judgmental and making a good judgment on something. I'm talking about being judgmental in a kind of critical, kind of like, yeah, niggly, um, I'm better than you kind of sense, okay? Yes, yeah, so maybe that's not a request. We can have requests, sermons for later on. Difference between judgmental and making right judgments. Okay. So you're saying that actually it's all the same. It doesn't matter whether it's a more important circumstance, a real life circumstance, if you're thinking judgmental thoughts, God says don't do it. Okay? Well, <laughs> where have we gone? It seems that in God's eyes, disobedient thoughts can be considered just as harmful as disobedient acts. Do you think so? I mean, Jesus must have shocked his hearers when he explained that a person who even looked at a woman lustfully had committed adultery already in his heart. Are our thoughts... Included in God's word and his discipline. And what Jesus says, don't judge. Yeah? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.20, the Bible says the Lord knows everyone's thoughts. Which can come across as a bit negative, can't it? God seeing all our thoughts. But think of it as a massive plus side as well. Because God can see the good thoughts that you have towards him. Even when you are trying or wanting to obey him but failing, he can see your thoughts struggling, willing to do the right thing. Knowing that he said this, but I just keep falling in this heart of my life yes he sees your deeds but he sees your thoughts which can be a wonderful thing think of all the thoughts that you have that are loving towards your lord even maybe if you're not acting as loving sometimes he can see those thoughts too so yes he can see your negative thoughts but also he can see your positive thoughts the ones where you're wanting to love him where you are loving him The Bible makes it clear in the Old Testament that God hears your silent prayers too, you know? Which I find very encouraging. When we're on holiday, um, I like to have my quiet time still, but I like to also let Marie have her sleep time. And we're in one caravan. So my quiet time isn't normally quiet, silent, on holiday it is, but you know what, it's so comforting to know that the same prayers the same things that I'm saying where I'd normally say out loud, God is still intimately hearing me okay because our thoughts seem to come under the same standard of judgment as our deeds, it makes sense that when God speaks his word is intended to have the same effect, whether it's on our thoughts, or on our words, or on our deeds. So when God says, do not judge, it includes our thought life. Can you remember what Hebrews 4.12 says, God's alive and active word does to your thoughts? Without turn... Ter- <laughs> Karen! I'm not, know I'm, I'm not, I'm glad... I'm glad that you're quick on the draw. Okay, who can tell me? What what does God's word do to our thoughts? It does, doesn't it? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight." Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's instructions are supposed to judge our thoughts. If we yield to its judgment now, it makes for a positive judgment later. It can seem really tiresome at times, even a little deflating when a believer experiences what can seem like a continual wrestling conversation going on inside. Do you get that? But actually, that is what is supposed to happen. That's what God's Word is designed to do, is to bring division inside of you. Division between what? Soul and spirit. It says it up there, doesn't it? It's a double-edged sword. It penetrates to even dividing soul and spirit. So when you get this wrestling inside you and you're thinking, oh, I'm an awful person, actually, God's word is doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is a good thing. His alive, active, sharper than a samurai sword is supposed to bring division to your spirit and soul. Now, The contradictory conversation that a believer often hears within themselves is God's word of command, his instruction, and even his rebuke, bringing division inside you. Now, we're going to close. We're not going to get through this. But think back to a time when you've reacted to something in a negative way. Okay, Maybe someone's carved you up at a roundabout. Maybe your spouse has left the toilet seat up yet again. <laughs> or, having waited age and ages, the waiter has got your order wrong. Now, I know these are all awful situations. <laughs> OK? But as these negative things happen, think how your mind is instantly busy grumbling, plotting. Revenge. But something else happens too, doesn't it? What happens? What else happens inside you? It's almost as if there's another part of you who begins to try and calm your angry self down. Do you get that? Yeah? There's another part of you that starts to begin to reason for goodness, for love, mercy and forgiveness. Maybe you even find this more peaceful side of you quoting scripture to the other knee-jerk reaction part of you. Do you find that? Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yet yeah, there's this division going, one part of you is getting angry and upset, another part of you is quoting scripture or just calming you down and saying, whoa, whoa, whoa we should forgive. You know, the Bible says don't judge. Okay? The word of God is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, and his discipline is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Whether we react to it positively or negatively is another thing. Okay? Right then, your soul, which is the easily wound up and wounded part of you, is not in agreement with your spirit. There's division. And your born-again spirit, which is in agreement with the Word of God and the joined with the Holy Spirit, is wonderfully speaking up and offering wise counsel to your soul. That is the effect that the instruction or the discipline, the Word of God, is supposed to be having. This is God's preferred discipline in action. He is pruning you. Now, you're not going to find out until next week what, how, what God was disciplining me and how he did it about being judgmental. We'll save that for next week. But shall we just go back to, to our Revelation Scripture, if we can? And God is, or Jesus is speaking to these Christians because they're lukewarm. He really cares about them. He loves them. He doesn't want to have to spit them out. He doesn't want them to be thrown out or cut off like he described. He wants them to be one with him. He wants them to remain in him, his words to remain in them and he in them. He wants them to repent because he loves them. And in a few weeks, we'll get to the point where he talks about knocking at the door and letting him in and how to actually engage with Jesus in that way. But he loves us so much to leave us where we are. If we are lukewarm, he wants us to draw back to the source, not to... Rely on secondhand spirituality, but come directly to Him. Drink, buy, eat.